Good morning. Would you stand with us this morning? God is good, and we all have a testimony of what He's done in our lives. So we're going to declare that this morning as we sing of His goodness, the testimony we have in Jesus. Amen. I saw Satan fall like lightning. All darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven yeah. I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power Still the miracle that I just can't get over My name registered in heaven my praise belongs to you forever this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony sons and daughters bought with blood and washed in water sing the praises of the spirit son and father our god will finish what he started our god will finish what he started this is my testimony from
that we act on his faithfulness is through tithes and offerings that we don't trust in something that's in our pocket we trust in his faithfulness to provide and care for us and so um, I want to invite you to do that this morning take part in tithes and offerings there's many different ways you can do it you can bring it up and drop it in the buckets you can put it in the green there's green boxes near the exits on as you exit the building and of course online several different ways the main way is in the app and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute but let me just ask a blessing on the offering father thank you for your provision for us thank you that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing in your kingdom work not only here in central oklahoma but around the world just through our giving and so father we ask your blessings on the gifts and those who will be blessed by receiving as a result of these gifts. In Jesus' name.
is my fervent prayer that not one soul in this room right now or who's hearing my voice would be satisfied without a vision of your love for us. A life-changing understanding about what it means to be cared for, for by the creator of the universe. That's my soul prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I don't know what else to say. Be seated. We went and watched the Jesus Revolution movie um, Pam and I did this past week, and it was an actu- It actually blew me away because I remember, I remember when that was going on, and ha- with the hunger that we had for the things of God, and we satisfy ourselves with so many other things these days. And I'm not, and I'm not being critical about that. I no condemnation nothing like that but it it, I mean I just have this desire for even for myself to to have that vision that we just sang about that God would show us what it means Um, that you're being cheated (laughs) if you settle for anything else amen Um, we have start here is after this after uh, immediately after this service, talk to Pam if you're interested. She's looking surprised, um, but talk to me about it. How about that? <laughs> we will make it happen. I, we may not have had anybody sign up for it, but if and I don't see anybody here that might want to take part in that. But if you do, let me know. Um, I want you to take about five minutes, and Pastor Jacob's going to bring the message this morning. Um, he... He wanted me to let you know that you can find the notes in the app down on uh, on the bottom of that page where it says watch live or um, or messages. If you go to the live button, you can find them, uh, find the notes there. He want, and I'm telling you because he told me to. So, uh, amen. All right. Take five and we'll be right back. Turn in your Bibles or devices to the gospel according to Mark chapter one. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, we're going to really try to hone in on two verses today. I'm starting a series on the Gospel, and for about two, three years straight, I've wanted to do this series. And uh, for whatever reason, I've had to keep kicking that can, and finally this year, I'm like, no, I am not kicking that can anymore. I feel so pressed in my heart to get this right, I'm absolutely convinced If we can get the gospel right, everything else will flow from that. And uh, the challenge to that, though, is if I ask uh, 10 random congregants, uh, which I'm not going to, so, uh, and gave them a microphone and said, you've got 90 seconds to preach the gospel, uh, we would probably get 10 different versions, and maybe close to the similar versions. but we probably get different versions, and uh, we're in uh, a number of our campuses also, so would you greet our Sherman campus and Chandler with me today, as well as Hugo and Broken Bow. Thank you guys for joining in on the Word of God 
Man, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that if we can get this in all of our campuses, our cities can be transformed. Not just our lives. Yes, our lives be transformed by Jesus, but even our cities. Um, so if, if we did ask uh, 10 and got 10 different answers, here's what my concern is. Is it the same gospel that Jesus preached? And is it the same gospel that the apostles preached? It's not to say that what would be said wouldn't be true or good, but would it be the gospel? Mark chapter 1, two verses, starting in verse 14. Now, when, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And then he gives a one-sentence summary of the gospel and a call to respond. And he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the gospel. Now, if any one of us, 30 seconds ago, because if I said, like, if I, if I hijacked you for a moment and I said, okay, I'm going to pick 10 people randomly, not, not even going to wait for you to raise your hand, and I'm going to make you preach the gospel. And so you started, well, okay, well, what would I say and how would I say it? Um, I can't say that I would have said that, but this is what Jesus preached. And it's very clear he preached the gospel, the gospel of God. The gospel is, a, uh, that word is a Greek word, euangelion. Euangelion, and it's important to know that, and it really means just good news, means good news. And it's important to remember that it is news, as distinct from good advice, or good theology, or even true doctrine. It's good news. So let me give you an example of good news. 2011 was a very important year. Uh, for me, and I believe the American people. And I don't know if you knew this or not, so I'm going to give you the good news. I'm going to preach the gospel to you here for a second. Uh, In the summer of 2011, uh, the Dallas Mavericks played the Miami Heat for the NBA championship. And the Dallas Mavericks were underdogs. The Miami Heat were heavy favorites. It was the first year that the great LeBron James took his talents to South Beach and they built a super team. This is the gospel, guys. Stick with me. (laughs) And they built this super team of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. And they were the heavy favorites to win, not just that year, but every year. And LeBron James hadn't won a championship yet. And so they were, they, were, they were heavy favorites, and they were up two games to one. And in the NBA Finals, it's a best of seven, so you have to win four games, okay? And it's hard when the same two teams play against each other to do that. And so they had to play four games, and so the Miami Heat were halfway there, two games to one. But, but God. <laughs> but the Dallas Mavericks rallied. And beat the Miami Heat four games to two. And I'm telling you, joy of like no other in celebration was that summer. And it was significant 
because this was Dallas's first win. However, it was not Dallas's first championship competition. A few years earlier in 2006, the Dallas Mavericks played the Miami Heat, and for both of them, it was their first NBA Finals. And Dallas was the favored, and they were up two games to nothing against the Miami Heat. And all of our hopes were high. Now, the Miami Heat is a little bit different then. It was still Dwayne Wade, but uh, an aging Shaq had come to the Miami Heat and had leveraged that, guys, stick with me, this is good news, okay? (laughs) And they ended up rallying four games in a row and beat the Dallas Mavericks in six, four games to two. So there's a backstory. And so this is a rematch in 2011. And not only that, again, the the Heat were the favored, and uh, this was supposed to be King James's big... Uh, debut to championship for like the rest of his career every year championships and you know what they lost and it was glorious as a matter of fact it was the the Dallas Mavericks winning it was scandalous to Miami Heat fans and LeBron James fan it was scandalous and you know what it's total folly to everyone who doesn't care a thing about basketball but, but, but to Dallas Mavericks fans and LeBron James haters, it was good news. <laughs> it was good news. Okay. So now I know who my people are. I just needed to set all that up to know, to know who you are. Okay, so, so listen, that's good news. That to some, it's bad news. And to others, it's no news. But to those who hear it and hear it well, it's good news. News is an announcement. It's an announcement about an event, an event that has taken place. Something has happened. And because of what has happened, things will now be different. It makes a difference. Something happens and it will make things different. It'll make things different for the future and the present. And this is important about news. Because if we're going to get the gospel right, we have to get the news right. And we live in a day where, like, news is not what it really is. It's, it's propaganda. But here's the deal. That did not come out of nowhere either. We need to distinguish news from advice or theology. New Testament scholar and Pauline scholar, N.T. Wright, one of my favorites, says this. I'm perfectly comfortable with what people normally mean when they say gospel. I just don't think it is what Paul means. In other words, I'm not denying that the usual meanings are things that people ought to say, to preach about, to even believe. I simply wouldn't use the word gospel to denote these things. And so what qualifies as news? What makes something news? And this is important because this is going to frame what the next few weeks we're going to talk about when we talk about the gospel, the euangelion of God, the euangelion of Jesus. First, It's an announcement about an event, an event that has taken place. Something has happened, an event, an actual event taking place. But that event has a larger backstory, a context that it sits in. And that context is important for the announcement and the event to make sense. You have to know something about the backstory. 
Then, because of this event, there is something unveiling about a new future that lies ahead. Something is, so because of this event, it makes a difference on the future. And then because of that event and the future, there is something transformed about the present moment that sits in between what has happened and the future event that therefore will happen. This is what constitutes his news. And what I had just shared as good news, an announcement of an event. The Dallas Mavericks stomped. I don't care what the score was. They throttled the Miami Heat. They destroyed King James. That's an event that has happened. But here's the larger context is it wasn't Dallas Mavericks' first competition in the NBA Finals against the Miami Heat. And so that isn't just that it's random or the single event, is there's backstory, there's animosity. LeBron James has moved to the Miami Heat. They're the heavy favorites. You see, there's a larger context that this one event makes sense within. And then there's a new future. There's a new NBA champions. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, every bit of my charismatic uh, anointing had came out in 2011 praying over that series. <laughs> been pretty depressing for the last decade plus, but there's some hope returning to Dallas and Dallas fans. And then there's a transformation of the present moment. For a year, Dallas Mavericks are the champions and LeBron James wasn't. I think you could pick up on my perspective. Okay, so here's the deal. For, for I would say, the majority of you, who cares? Right? What does that even matter? And that's the point. That's the point about news is some people just won't care. And for some people, it's bad news. And the same is true with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an announcement about something that has happened. And it's good news. Some people will not receive it as good news. And for many people, they won't care. And so because we're trying to make everybody care, we try to develop all our theologies and doctrines and we've crafted into various things. And I'll get into some more about what has come from that and how we need to distinguish the gospel of Jesus from the plan of salvation. And that might provoke a little, a few of you. And so today I just want you to see good news because listen, this does not come out of nowhere. This has a very specific context, and I give a silly example. Well, it's silly to some of you, a lot of you. It is not. It is good news to me. But I use an example just to try to get you oriented to this idea about news because the orientation that the first century had also had a context, also had a way of understanding this, also had a way of understanding good news. And there is an idea of Roman gospel, the Roman good news. And let me back up in your world history a little bit. This is important. So stick with me. I think I can do this in about three, maybe five minutes, okay? Because this is really important to understand gospel. Because the Romans had a gospel. The Romans had a euangelion. And they had evangelists that preached the euangelion of Rome. So a little world history. Get back to the 11th grade for a second. If that, if that gets some PTSD for you, I'm really sorry. But we need to get some historical context to, to understand why, why what is being said in these few verses is scandalous, okay? 
All right, so in 44 BC, um, Julius Caesar had united Rome but was murdered. He was assassinated. And what happened after that was a brutal civil war between Brutus and Cassius, who were his assassins, and his great nephew and eventual successor, Octavian, who, who paired up with Julius Caesar's best friend, Mark Antony. And after a number of years, they defeated Brutus and Cassius. However, then they turned on each other for absolute power over Rome. And so in 31 BC, after 13 years of brutal civil war all over the Roman Empire and much bloodshed, Octavian, who was later named Augustus, had a decisive victory in the Battle of Actium off the coast of Greece and defeated Mark Antony. And from there, you have kind of the infamous stories of Mark Antony and Cleopatra going back to Egypt and committing suicide. Okay. Well, at that decisive victory, it established Augustus as Caesar. And now this civil war was over and peace had returned to the empire. And there was a three-year gap between the Battle of Actium in 31 BC and Caesar Augustus coming back to Rome to establish his, his rule and reign as the sole emperor. And in that gap, Augustus sent evangelists to go preach the gospel to the Roman Empire to preach the good news that peace and justice is being restored after long, brutal civil war. Are you with me? Caesar, Augustus, was then dubbed in Latin Divi Filius. Son of the deified Julius Caesar, son of a god. He was proclaimed as Lord, Savior, and Prince of Peace. Now, I have a full set of notes on the app uh, that you can see. I have a lot of this, and I've linked to a lot of the stories and uh, places where you can kind of see summaries of this right here. Um, But I want to read a portion of an inscription that was found in a Roman city in what is modern-day Western Turkey referring to Caesar Augustus and his birthday. And this inscription, a portion of it, I have the full inscription and and at least one other inscription similar to this that was found from roughly 6 to 9 B.C. So around 9 B.C., This is what was said of Caesar Augustus. The birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings, was the beginning of the gospel, was the beginning of the good news, the euangelion, for the world that came by reason of him. So this was the gospel according to Rome. The God Augustus was the beginning of the euangelion for the world. Now, your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 1. The beginning of the euangelion 
of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Do you see how scandalous that is? They sound eerily similar, don't they? Do you not think that that was intentional? And so the gospel, the good news, is about Jesus. And it's a direct confrontation to the propaganda of the empire. Scandalous. It's a scandal to some, and it's folly to others. Who cares? Who cares? It's another, it's another announcement about somebody else. So the gospel isn't about you, and that's my concern, is that when we ask people to preach the gospel, we tend to make it about you. How bad you are. And, if, and, in, and in this is a bit of a caricature. But there's some that have variations that when they talk about the good news, it's Jesus saves us from his angry dad. And yet that's not the euangelion according to Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you look at the top of your page, it says the gospel according to to Mark. And there's three other ones. The gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Luke. The gospel according to John. That should say something to us. It says that the gospel is about Jesus. And the gospel in context if we think about when these words were written and in the social context in which they were written, it is a royal announcement about a king and a kingdom. That's what the euangelion is. It's a royal announcement about a king and about a kingdom. And so what is the euangelion that Jesus preached? And Mark did us all a great favor and put it in a one-sentence summary. And so with that context in mind, this is all happening right before Jesus was born. And it's taking place as he was young and growing up. And do you not think that his message was scandalous to that empire? So verse 14, John's arrested. And Jesus went into Galilee doing what? Proclaiming the euangelion about God. And what is that euangelion? What is that gospel? It is a single sentence. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then we have a response that should come from that one line gospel. Repent and believe it. And it's what I want to spend the rest of our time just breaking down that one sentence. We'll have a few more weeks where we'll, I'll, I'll expand in the larger context and how the story of Jesus is the gospel and it's built on the story of Israel and from the gospel, the story of Jesus comes God's plan of salvation. 
But don't flatten the plan of salvation to the gospel. Because if you try to do that, you won't be able to understand 100% of all the sermons in the book of Acts that the apostles preached. I, if I'm going to make a choice, I don't think I have to, but if, if I'm going to make a choice between sermons that line up with the last 50 years or Jesus and the apostles, I'm going to pick Jesus and the apostles. And if our church is going to be shaped around a gospel, I would like it to be the gospel that Jesus preached and that those who followed him directly preached as well. And it's very specific. It's about a king and a kingdom. And so the time is fulfilled. This is the gospel Jesus preached. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. There's a backstory. There's a context in which this makes sense. That there's like 800 pages of a backstory. Now, in other places, I have gone into painstaking detail to try to explain the story that leads to Jesus. But there is a backstory to this announcement. The time is fulfilled means that there is a long story of God's promises and prophecy throughout history, and it's reaching its climax and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That all the hopes of humanity and all the promises of God that God's given to his people are now coming to fulfillment and its climax in who Jesus is. And it's the story of Israel and all of creation. It's what we've been waiting for for centuries, even millennia, the healing and renewal of all creation. What we've been waiting for is a new covenant, a new family of Jew plus Gentile. It's the kingdom of God and the rule of God. And now is the time. It has been unlocked and unleashed for humanity because of Jesus. All that story that has just been a long drudgery and we have tiny little glimmers of hope, but centuries of, of misunderstanding and rebellion, of God being faithful century after century to his people, and all the hopes that have lingered and glimmers that have, have shined throughout this story, now is the time where it's been fulfilled. Jesus is the one who brings it all to fruition. Jesus is the one that brings this story to its climax and fulfillment. And that story is anchored around one major thing, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's the Greek word basileia. And yes, it means the domain over which a king rules. The domain, which includes a people and a place, the domain of which a king rules. But beyond it just being this noun of, of a domain uh, or a people, it also means reign, which is a little more akin to an action verb. And it is the exercise of royal power. Or one of the ways Dallas Willard defines the kingdom of God is the range of his effective will. What the reign of God is, that being an active verb, the reign of God is the range of his effective will. It's the sphere in which God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God. It's the range of his effective will. It's, it's the domain in which his will, his will is exercised perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. And it's now available to everyone. 
in history when you hear of the reign of the pharaohs or the reign of Alexander the Great or the reign of Henry VIII. You are thinking about a people and a place. You're thinking about Egypt and Greece and England. You're thinking about, yes, a people and a place, but you're also, you also have to include the order or the exercise of authority over those people and those places. The, the order, the arrangement of society according to that ruler that is exercised on a people and place. And so the reign of God is his order that he brings about in his domain. It's how he arranges things according to his will. And he gave human beings a choice. Will we yield and submit to that or we will, will we rebel? And from Genesis 3 onward, humans have done one thing really well. We've rebelled. We've done our own thing and gone our own way. Think of the kingdom of God as God in action. We believe God is at work. He acts. That's his kingdom. It's the ordering and directing of the world under his will, under his authority, being submitted to his action, partnering with his action. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus announced that that kingdom was at hand. Meaning it's not for a distant time and place. It's not for another people. It's not for another part of history or another part of the universe. It's at hand. Like your phone is at hand. Like you had go break out into hives if it's not within reach. That's, that's the reference is that it's not way out there. It's right here. It's within reach. That rule, that domain, that kingdom is within reach. It's the same idea as electricity is at hand. When you have a switch, it's there, but it's not on until you turn it on. But it's at hand. God's kingdom is at hand. It means to come near, to draw near or bring near. It can also mean that it has arrived or it's available to all. The realm and reality of God's action and his ordering of his effective will is readily available and within reach. To who and how? It's to anyone and everyone. But there's a response necessary to this gospel. And that's the last phrase. Repent and believe. It requires, for you, for, for anyone, it's available to everyone. But to access what is at hand, to access God's domain, God's effective will, the way he orders things, the way he exercises authority, to access that requires us to change the way we think. Repentance isn't just apologize. Here's how to think of it. You have a kingdom or a queendom. I mean, I'm not I'm judging one way or another. You, you, have, you have a range of your effective will. Now, it's not as big as, you know, the pharaohs. <laughs> uh, it might seem rather small, but you do have a kingdom. You have a range where you have an, a, your will is exercised. And our children, you, you, if you're raising children, you have young children, you see how, how they're starting to learn 
um, what that is and how, how big their kingdom is. And it begins with like me and mine. That's, that's them starting to exercise, okay, I have a kingdom. I have a domain of my effective will. It merges into, you're not the boss of me. <sighs> if, if they have siblings, if you're raising multiples, like our kids have their seat at the table. That's my seat. Every once in a while, I'm like, guys, you didn't buy it. It ain't yours. We were at the dinner table a couple nights ago. And uh, my youngest son sits in between my wife and I, strategically. <laughs> he's four. He's learning the range of his effective will. And that particular night, his sister wanted to sit by him and switched his mom, switched seats with his mom. We couldn't eat dinner. We could not start dinner until that was changed, that was fixed. See, the ordering of things, that's an, that's an outworking of our kingdom. If you, if you own or rent a house, whether it's clean or not clean, is, a, is an expression, it's an external symbol or sign of your will, your kingdom, the way you arrange furniture. That's an exercise of your will. It's an expression of how you order things. Things like your fashion choices. That's an expression of your choices. Unless your wife dresses you or your parents dress you. Then, it's a, then you're a part, you're submitted under their kingdom. <laughs> but your budget, how you spend your money, that's your kingdom. It's where your choices have impact, right? Your schedule, how you choose to arrange your time, that's an expression of your kingdom. And every human being has a kingdom, has a domain. It might not be very big, but it, everyone has one. If you own a business, that's an expression of your kingdom, the range of your effective will. And whether or not your employees and staff members are in alignment to your will or submitted to your will will make a difference on the expression of your kingdom. And if you combine all of humanity's individual kingdoms all together, you have what the scriptures call the kingdoms of this world. Human kingdoms. And how well are we doing at ruling our kingdoms? terrible. There's not, it's certainly not in a state of shalom or peace. We don't have justice as a whole in the world. And so we're pretty pathetic at being kings and queens of our own domain. And there is an inevitable future. You'll find it in Revelation. Where it says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God. Everybody's kingdom is going to come under that kingdom eventually. 
And so we sit in between. That's a future that this gospel indicates. A future where the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of Christ. And it transforms the present. We choose now, upon hearing this good news, how we relate to it. So to repent means to change the way you think. It means to change how you see things. It means to change your worldview. It's to change your mind. It's to rethink everything. You need to rethink how you understand God and his character. You need to rethink how you think about yourself and who you are in this world. Rethink how you think about purpose and meaning in life. Rethink how you exercise your will. But rethink it according to what standard? Believe. So you don't just change the way you think into anything you want to think. Or according to whatever cultural norm and standard exists today. But will change with whatever tide and whatever trend is. No, no, you rethink according to a standard. Believe the gospel. What's the gospel? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. You rethink everything according to God's will, God's kingdom. That everything about our life is to be brought under the kingdom of God, surrendered to the kingdom of God, and trusting in the king of that kingdom. To believe the gospel is to put our faith and trust in King Jesus. Which means... We're in the wrong. That's the confrontation of the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. And if you recognize that your kingdom is pathetic, that's good news. Praise God. I more than happily give this over to you, Lord. It's terrible anyway. But what if you've done well in the world? What if the range of your effective will is actually broader than what you thought was possible? What if you've got a significant amount of power? I don't know. I'm probably not talking to anybody here. I'm just hypothetically speaking about other people. And you don't want to submit. Well, then it's scandalous. It's not good news for you. Why put your trust in Jesus if you can do it your own self? And that's why the entrance into the kingdom is a recognition that you're pretty terrible. You're really poor at ruling your life. We're really bad when we decide what is good and evil. When we rewrite definitions of good and evil according to our own standards. That's the sin of Genesis 3. Is that we become like God. And we get to dictate good and evil. And the only result of us exercising our will in that way is death. And that's the confrontation of the gospel. Is that the kingdom of God is at hand and it will confront every power structure, including yours. That's why it's a whole lot easier to make this about theology 
and good advice than it is to announce it as news. It's news. This has happened. Jesus is raised from the dead. He's the king. He's in charge. He's the Lord of the world. He didn't get elected there. You can't vote him out of office. And he's already beat death, so you can't wait for him to die. So the gospel Jesus preached is the availability of living right now in the kingdom of God. And it's available to everyone. And it comes through trusting and following him. And this is why discipleship is central to the gospel. Because hopefully the follow-up is, how do, how, do I live, how do I know how to live in the kingdom of God? You follow Jesus. You don't just put some theological faith and ascend to some doctrinal truth. Uh, this is what I hope, I hope in a couple weeks. What Dallas Willard called vampire Christians. I hope to address that. Get a little blood from him and then really not really have to do anything with him until you're with him in heaven and you just can't avoid him then. No, the, the, the gospel, the good news is that the kingdom of God is right here, right now, and it's available to everyone. And the way you get in is through putting your trust in Jesus. And the way you, you live in that reality, it's a whole new reality. You can't see it in the natural, but it's real. The kingdom of God is real and it's present. It's an entirely different reality that we're called to live in. How do we do that? We follow Jesus. Discipleship is indispensable to the gospel. Dallas Willard would also say, if discipleship is not the natural result of you preaching the gospel, then you're preaching something Jesus, something other than the gospel Jesus preached. Because the way Jesus preached the gospel necessitated discipleship as the response to it. And I want to preach that gospel. Yes, I want to have good theology. But one comes from the other. And when you get this backward, you don't get the gospel. This is why we care deeply about discipleship. And discipleship is simply a lifelong practice, an everyday, lifelong process of surrendering our will, our kingdom to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's learning on a day-to-day -day basis, not just in Sunday morning sermons, not just one time making a decision, but a day-to-day -day process of bringing our, our kingdom continually under his reign. And with each surrender, we become more and more like Jesus. We become more and more like the human being God made human beings to be. That's what he's after, is human beings being the human beings he made them to be. And the only way that happens is through following Jesus. And following Jesus is not just mentally understanding his teachings. It's surrendering, being a living sacrifice, day after day after day. 
And the thing about it is if you actually know him and live in relationship with him, that's not drudgery. It's not this dour, sad, oh, I guess I've got to be a disciple today. <laughs> Discipleship, it's the transformation of our kingdom. It's the transformation of our kingdom under his reign, under his kingdom. And this happens at the deepest level, your character. Your character is the prime expression of your kingdom. Your kingdom, your character is the result of a lifetime of decisions. You do not get to blame your character on anybody else. Your character, whatever it is today, is an expression of how you have chosen to live your life and how your choices have shaped you into the kind of person you are today. And if you don't like that, you're going to have to look in the mirror. But you can be salvaged. No one, no one, absolutely no one is too far gone. No one. And that's why the confrontation of the gospel is good news. That who you are doesn't have to be that. It can be like Jesus. And so discipleship is that daily, sometimes hourly, surrendering, submission of all of our will, all of our choices, all of our kingdom, our domain, surrendering to his domain, his reign, allowing him to order. And you don't get to define good and evil. King Jesus does, which means he's going to do something you don't like. And you're going to say, that sounds a bit evil to me. You don't, you don't get to be in charge. You're not Lord. You're not Lord. And that's why many people will not care a thing about the gospel is they want to be Lord. And so am I preaching a gospel that has a natural tendency to produce disciples or only consumer of religious goods and services? this is going to be a fun series. <laughs> I want to end with this. This is, again, New Testament scholar, Pauline scholar. Maybe, I, I, my personal opinion, he's the most brilliant New Testament scholar alive today. And he wrote a book, Simply Good News. And this is a portion of that. And I want you to hear this. this the entire thing is in the notes if you want to, to read it. And I cite the source, all the sources that I read, I cite the sources. And I want you to hear this from New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. The good news is that the one true God has now taken charge of the world in and through Jesus and his death and resurrection. The ancient hopes have indeed been fulfilled, but in a way nobody imagined. God's plan to put the world right has finally been launched the ancient sickness that had crippled the world and humans with it, that's sin, has been cured at last so that new life can rise up in its place. Life has come to life and is pouring out like a mighty river into the world in the form of a new power, the power of love. 
The good news was and is that all this has happened in and through Jesus, that one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation, and that we humans, every single one of us, whoever we are, can be caught up in that transformation here and now. This is the Christian gospel. Do not allow yourself to be fobbed off with anything less. He's British. Do not allow yourself to be fobbed off with anything less. It takes someone with a British accent to be able to say that right. We, 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 cannot, we cannot stop short of the gospel. In an effort to try to reach people, you can't compromise the gospel. We just keep preaching it. We are the evangelists who preach that good news over and over and over and over. And then we live that good news over, over, and over, and over every single day of our life. And I don't want to sell ourselves short. I don't want to be a church that preaches another gospel. I, I, w- I would like to follow along with the gospel Jesus preached and the apostles preached. And I don't want to be, whatever it means to be fobbed off, I don't want to be fobbed off with anything less than that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we're so grateful for that you did not give up on us, did not give up on humanity, but sent your son. And Jesus, you live sacrificially in love that we might partake in the good news. And so today, we align ourselves and surrender ourselves to this good news. Jesus, you're king, and our knee is bowed to you alone. And so we repent of turning our own way, going our own way, doing our own thing, exercising our power and our will in opposition to your kingdom. And it's your great love that stretched out your arms, Jesus, stretched out your arms in crucifixion and shed your blood that we might be redeemed, that we might be brought into this kingdom. And so may we be a people of repentance who continually surrender our lives to you, continually change the way we think in accordance to your good news. And may we be a people of trust who put our faith and trust in you alone, not ourselves, not politics, not economics, not business, not man. Our faith and trust is in you alone, King Jesus. And Holy Spirit, may we pay attention to your leadership as you lead and guide us into truth. And may we be a people who live this transformation, who live the transformation of our character, that our lives, this church, be an expression of your kingdom coming on earth and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, that is a good word. There are a lot of things that I hope for for what happens in a, for a Sunday. And in nowhere in my hoping is that you get some information so you can win at Jeopardy 
or, or trivial pursuit or something like that, that, that you come here and that, that something happens with your mind, will, and emotions where, where you say, wow, I'm, something's going to be different because of that. And, and this morning, as we talk about the good news and, and what it's supposed to do in our lives, and part of what the proclamation of good news that Jesus made involved repentance, which means things turn around. You turn things around. And Pastor Jacob said that our kingdom, the kingdom, our realm of influence, whether that kingdom is your is you as a business person or your friends at school or your stuffed animals at home on your bed, whatever your realm of influence is, that you that you turn it around to where it's going in in the same flow as God's kingdom of influence. And, I, and there's a question that I would ask. And I think this is a confrontation for a lot of people for what their church life is. It's kind of, what can I get out of that? And the question that I was asked is, does God's influence serve me? Because if you think about it, I hear a lot of people, that's what they talk about for what they hope to get out of their spiritual life is stuff out of it, it that it would serve me. Kind of like that vending machine idea that if I do this, God has to do that thing. Does, does God's influence serve me or does his kingdom serve me or does mine serve him? Does the kingdom, the level of influence that I have, does it serve him? want to know what the kingdom is, go look at the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been studying the book of Matthew on Wednesday night, a chapter at a time, just, just really pulling out what the experience that, what it might've been if you had been there when Jesus is teaching that. And all of the times that in Matthew, the kingdom of God, Jesus refers to it as the kingdom of heaven or Matthew referred to it as that. And there's reasons for that, but it's all the same thing. Go look at all the places in the gospel where it says the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the, Jesus is teaching what it's supposed to be. He's telling you which direction it's flowing. And he's, and he's saying, come on, the water's good. Just get in the water. Let's flow in that. One of the reasons why the Pharisees hated him so much is because it didn't flow in the direction that theirs flowed. So I want you to answer that question for yourselves. Ponder that this week is, does God's kingdom serve me or does my kingdom serve him? Let me pray for you. Father, it's sometimes in our life we've known what it meant to be in the flow of what your kingdom is. And Father, I pray that we would with a sense of longing for what that is, that we would measure our present experience according to that. Give us that hunger for it. Show us by your Holy Spirit how we can be more in line or in in the direction that your kingdom is flowing and what we need to do to fix it if it's not working that way. 
just that simple. Lord, we trust in you to show us what needs to change in our life and recognizing what the benefits of that are, recognizing that that is all good news, that we get in line with that. And not just so we get something out of it, but so that we would see the world operating the way you mean for the world to be. That, the, that your purpose in, in teaching us what the kingdom of heaven is like is for all the benefits that come from it. How we will be an influence for change, positive change in the world that we live in, in, in our realm of influence with school, with work, with wherever it is, that you'd be glorified. Go with us as we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you need to be prayed for, talk to me. And we'll see you next time.